Well, local church, I want you to imagine a love that pushes against boundary lines that we've drawn up in our own hearts. One that makes us feel uncomfortable and out of control. A love that challenges every prejudice we carry and every notion to try to write others off or every notion to try to put people in a category, this us and them category that we try to fit others into. Jesus tells this story that just crushes boundary lines and invites us to do the same. So let's turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to test to the, uh, I'm sorry. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. There are three things I want us to see here in, in this passage of Scripture. First, a test. This lawyer, this religious scholar is making sure Jesus has the proper boundary lines. Second, there's a question. This scholar, this religious scholar is trying to get away with boundary lines that he's drawn up. Third, there's a story that crushes all boundary lines. So first, a test. A test. Making sure Jesus has boundary lines. So when we read about the lawyer who comes to Jesus, this lawyer who stood up to put him to a test, I don't think lawyer down at the courthouse. Think religious scholar. Think expert on the law of Moses. These men were around to monitor Jesus's activity and his ministry. They were around to monitor Jesus's faithfulness to the law of Moses. And this man is clearly wanting to challenge Jesus. You know, by this time in Jesus's earthly ministry, he had done a lot of controversial things in the eyes of the religious scholars. So here's this lawyer who stands up publicly to challenge Jesus, Luke says to, to put him to the test. And, you know, this, this question that he brings to Jesus actually was a common question for a rabbi of the day. It's a question about eternal life or the age to come. The lawyer says this, how do I inherit eternal life? This is the promise of what will be. In the Jewish mind, it involved acceptance before God as his chosen people. But the lawyer's question, remember, is a test. He wants Jesus to prove himself. He's trying Jesus here. 
and in front of everybody. He wants to actually expose Jesus. I think because of the heretical views, or at least in this lawyer's mind, that Jesus was propagating. Heretical views on God's worldwide plan of redemption. Now Jesus turns it around on the lawyer, and he says, well, how do you read it? I mean, you're the expert. How do you read it? And the lawyer leans on Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and Leviticus 19. What does he say? Uh, the lawyer answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. There's Deuteronomy 6 and your neighbor as yourself. There's Leviticus 19. Way to go. A plus, 100% on that. Good job, Mr. Lawyer. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. This is the Shema, which, which is the word in Hebrew for listen. It's the first word in Deuteronomy 6. Actually, let's turn there. It's a beautiful passage. It says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, or listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. There it is, the Shema. This is something that Jews would have prayed every day, actually in the morning and at night. This is central to their worship, central to their time of prayer. They would have had it memorized. This, the word Shema, again, it's, it means hear or listen. It's, it's, it's about obedience and paying attention, taking action. So it's not only just about hearing, but then doing. It's really two sides of the same coin. coin. And so the Shema would have been memorized, but this is all about loving God first and foremost with everything in you, your heart. Your heart is the seat of your affections. It's the central command of your whole being. It's your everything, your emotions, your will, your deepest convictions. That's the starting place. And what grows out of that is love for neighbor, love for others. And so we attach Leviticus 19 verse 18 to it as well. Okay, so the lawyer answered correctly. Jesus is like, okay, now go and do it. Do this and you will live. You know, it's, it's one thing to know what Scripture says. It's another thing to internalize it, to walk it out. The lawyer didn't lack information. We can know what the Bible says and we can even agree with it. But does it influence us to the core of who we are? Does it direct us in how we're making decisions? Where might you actually be looking for ways to justify your own actions or your lack of action by making the Bible say what you want it to say? It's, we all do this or we're all tempted to do it. Where are we reading and obeying selectively, picking and choosing what we like and ignoring what we don't? Jesus says, do this and you will live. Because authentic acts of love rise from genuine faith. But this stings the lawyer. It stings the religious scholar because the lawyer has been wrestling with a few things. See, he observed the way Jesus has welcomed in the outcasts. How he's welcomed in the ceremonially unclean and the morally impure and the ones who even worked for Rome, the enemy. And then, in addition to that, there was a major debate in Jesus' day surrounding how one interpreted Leviticus 19's call to love your neighbor. I mean, certainly, 
Gentiles don't qualify. Non-Jews. Everyone knows Samaritans don't either. We'll get to why they thought that. Maybe that's what was rattling, on, rattling around in, in the lawyer's mind. I think it was. Because in his mind, love of neighbor was limited to Israel, to his people. Luke tells us the lawyer wants to justify himself. He wants to feel good about the way he walked out the command to love his neighbor. The lawyer put Jesus to a test, but then from that comes a question, who is my neighbor? He's trying to get away with boundary lines, and that's point number two. There's a question here. You know, sometimes we ask questions just to get what we want. We're not really interested in the the response of the person we're asking. We we ask a question sometimes just to make ourselves feel better uh, about our own decisions. We're told something about the motives of this lawyer. Oh, he's, he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to exclude. He's trying to actually categorize some people as non-neighbor and, and be okay with it. He asks, who is my neighbor? Who qualifies? So I imagine the lawyer thinking this in his mind. Be careful, Jesus, how you answer this. We've been studying this a long time. And how you answer this is going to impact your future. Truth is how the, the lawyer responded, it, was, it would impact his future. We've been debating this forever, I'm, I'm sure he was imagining. And we have our own conclusions. What questions are you bringing to Jesus that you've already reached conclusions about? Maybe what you're doing, really doing, is trying to justify your own actions. Things like, well, doesn't God love me? Want me to be happy? Yes. But sometimes we justify our behavior in the name of God wanting us to be happy. Have you ever done that? Or, don't I need to work on forgiving myself before I can forgive others? That question puts limits and boundaries around what God has called us to do. It's so easy to justify actions and attitudes towards others who have either hurt us or done us wrong. It's, it's so easy to hold on to offenses and let them fester. And before we know it, hate is justified by our excuses. And unforgiveness is justified by our pain. And prejudice is justified by generations of ignorance. And indifference is justified by distractions. We try to root out these things in our life. We find, oh, the root runs deep. And we let it go. Who are the ones I'm supposed to love is the question that the lawyer really had in his heart. He wanted to justify himself. Jesus is about to help the lawyer see how much he misses the point. Finally, we see a story. This is where we're going to spend most of our time on the story that Jesus told. And it crushes the boundary lines that were drawn up in the lawyer's heart and mind. I want to read the story again, uh, beginning here in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, 
As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he didn't pass by on the other side. He had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. You know, Jesus answers the question of the lawyer with a story. A little background, I think, is important to the characters involved in this story. The people, the original hearers in Jesus' day, would have known the background to these characters in the story. But we're far removed from this time. And so let's, let's, let's just walk through each character. The priest. The priest is a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. He's the teacher of the law. He served in the temple. Oftentimes, priests would go and serve for about two weeks and then make their way back home. They led the way spiritually for the nation of Israel. The Levite, he's an attendant to the temple, and he served the priests. A lot of different responsibilities of the tribe of Levi and the Levites. The Samaritan, oh, he's, he's hated by the Jews. There's this deep-seated hatred between Jews and Samaritans that's been going on for hundreds of years by this time both sides claimed to inherit the promises to abraham and moses both sides sides claim rightful possess that they were rightful possessors of the land there was this hatred and deep deep strife samaritans were actually considered a half-breed race by by the jews and, and 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 they they were actually considered to have this perverted form of worship and they were considered outcasts and unclean enemies of Israel and enemies of God. And finally, the wounded man. We don't know anything about him except that he's a human being in desperate need. Okay, we know a little bit more about the characters involved in this story that Jesus tells. The road descends down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about an 18-mile hike down rocky terrain, 3,200 feet uh, difference uh, in, in the terrain and in, in the, uh, the height from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Thieves and robbers could have easily ambushed someone on this road, and that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. This man, who we don't know anything about, this human being, is stripped, is beaten, and he's left half dead. Then the priest ra- walks by, just happens, just happens to be walking by. Must have been coming back from serving in Jerusalem. He's coming down the road, heading towards Jericho. Maybe he's going back home after serving his his two weeks. Most likely, he's got an entourage of some kind. Most likely, he's not alone. And he saw the man, and he passes to the other side. Now, maybe this thought entered the priest's mind. This is a trick. This is a ploy. Just to get me to stop, and then I'll be ambushed. That guy, how can I really know if that man is really dead or, or, or hurt? This is an ambush for me. I'm staying out of this. Or maybe he was thinking, if I attempt to help this man and I find that he's dead, I will become ceremonially unclean. Because he would. If he touched a corpse as the, high, as, as the priest, in that priestly role, he would have been um, unclean and unable to do his duties as a priest. We don't really know. We're not told uh, anything about his motives, but we are told that he went to the other side. And there was effort to go to the other side. 
And then we're introduced to the Levite. He comes along and he does the same thing that the priest does. Did he see the priest? Did he see the priest move to the other side? We don't know. But he does the same thing that the priest did. Now, both of these men decide they, they cannot be inconvenienced by the situation. It isn't worth the risk to stop and to help this wounded man. Verse 33, as Jesus introduces the Samaritan, the listeners would have been completely shocked. Priest, Levite, Samaritan? There's no way. No, no, seriously, no way. I'm talking furrowed brow, hands in the air. You could hear people probably saying, what? What are you talking about? Gasping. They weren't just politely, oh, a Samaritan. Oh, how, how neat is that? No, they, they were, I'm sure, freaking out. This is culturally unthinkable. A Samaritan. You're introducing a Samaritan, Jesus. Surely, Jesus, you're going to round this story off with a nice, a nice ending, introducing a, a member of Jewish society, uh, one of our own people who's going to come and rescue this man. A Samaritan. The Samaritan came, he saw, and he had compassion. All of this wounded man's comforts and securities were completely stripped away from him. This man who was left for dead had nothing. Nothing. And he didn't ask for it. He didn't ask for this to be done to him. The Samaritan went to him. The Samaritan bound up his wounds. He poured oil on his wounds. He set him on his animal. He brought him to an inn. He gave of his own money. He spent himself on this man that he did not know. He was moved with compassion. He was compelled by love. The Samaritan was on his way somewhere. We don't know the Samaritan's backstory. We don't know where he's headed. So this circumstance, though, we can conclude was actually, it was in his way. This wasn't his plan. And isn't that how it is with difficulty, with trial, with situations that come up in our own lives? We don't plan for it, but we get the call. Or we, the circumstance unfolds before us. It isn't what we asked for. It isn't something we planned. But we have a choice to make in that moment. The Samaritan chose to stop. He entered the situation instead of avoiding it. It's a decision he faced. And in that moment, he made a decision to stay and to invest. He put him on his donkey and he brought him to an inn. Now, this is the part where the listeners would have been just falling out, just all over the place, like completely freaking out. He did what? He put him on his donkey or his animal and he brought him to an inn. He entered Jewish territory. He entered a neighborhood that he didn't belong. He took the risk of bringing a wounded man, probably a Jew, into Jewish territory with all these eyes on him, going to an inn, which wasn't a nice place in that day. A lot of rough people hanging out around the inn. A lot of bad stuff going on there. He went to an inn with this man. He did, are you kidding me? You see, we, we miss it because we're far removed from that Jew and uh, Samaritan animosity and bitterness. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing 
when he introduced this, this man to the story. Everyone would assume the Samaritan was up to no good. Here he is. He boldly walks the wounded man into Jewish territory. He puts himself at risk now. Risk of not only being beat up, but of being killed. His life is on the line. And here's what he says to the innkeeper. I'll cover his expenses. Is this only about helping people? Is this only about being kind? Like, we hear the word Samaritan or good Samaritan. We think, okay, we want to do good for others. We want to help others. What a good Samaritan you are. As if it's all about just moralism and and being kind. That's not what this is about. And if we walk away thinking that's what it's about, then we've missed the point. The wounded man would never be the same again. The story demonstrates a love that was willing to endure, a love that was willing to lose and to suffer and to give and to risk and to spend, a love that refuses to allow ethnicity or society or anything else to draw up boundary lines. Verse 36, listen, the question is not who is my neighbor, but am I being a neighbor? Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Oh, the lawyer had asked, who's my neighbor? Come on, who qualifies? Well, that's not the question. Jesus turns it all around. How can we, church, how can we be a neighbor to those around us? Walking in love, walking in compassion and mercy, in the midst of this COVID-19. How do we do this? What does that involve? To be a neighbor. When all of life's comforts and securities are just not only challenged, but actually stripped away. Because that's what happened to this man who was wounded. That's what happened to this man who was left half for dead. But it's a love that decides in the face of this inconvenience, it's a love that decides to risk everything and to extend mercy, to show compassion, to love as we have been loved. I want to turn your attention to Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the motivation for our forgiveness of others is, is the, that we've been forgiven. God in Christ has forgiven us, so we extend forgiveness towards others. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There it is, verse one of chapter five. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We're loved by God. Walk in love as Christ loved us 
as he loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is what should be motivating us in our love for others. It begins with where we are. It begins right where we are. And look with me at what Paul says about walking in love and love towards others. Look with me at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You've fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's go back to Luke 10. Jesus is masterful. Masterful teacher. He exposes the error of the lawyer's interpretation of the law. He demonstrates how worldwide boundary-breaking love is actually the fulfillment of the law. And then he asks the lawyer to wrestle with it all right there on the spot in front of everybody. Masterful. And in verse 37, like the end of a really good movie, the lawyer is put on the spot. He said, uh, he had to answer, well, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I'm sure there's a little moment of silence. He thought to himself, I don't want to say this. I don't want to admit that the Samaritan did what he did. Everyone's waiting for his answer. And he said, the one who showed him mercy, couldn't even say Samaritan, couldn't say the Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus. He had to admit in public that the Samaritan was the true neighbor. The Samaritan actually did what the law requires and what the lawyer himself was trying to get out of. Church, God entered the brokenness of humanity in the person of Jesus He entered our brokenness and responded with compassion and mercy. Jesus invites us into that kind of living where there are no limits, no limits to our love expressed towards others. Not letting uh, ethnicity or society or anyone or anything draw up boundaries. Not letting our past hurt and pain. Not letting offenses. Nothing not allowing ourselves to to get away with things internally and being okay with writing others off. No, he's saying there's no limit to my love for you. There should be no limit to your love. No boundary lines here. Your compassion should be spilling out of your life. When you're inconvenienced, when the opportunity presents itself, you, you stop and you enter the brokenness because that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. So instead of avoiding it, instead of looking the other way, the call to love our neighbor is a call to see that the the boundary lines have been broken. And isn't that what Jesus has been showing us in the Gospel of Luke? When he's been loving the outcasts, loving those on the sidelines of society, welcoming them in, when they've been written off by the religious community. And Jesus is saying, no, come to me. All of you who are weary and and heavy laden and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. That's what Jesus is doing. It's a world 
wide offer of hope and rest that pushes against ethnicity, that pushes through those boundary lines that we ourselves have drawn up. And listen, church, it's reached us. I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. It's reached me 2,000 years later. I've heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus the King who conquers sin and death, who's made a way for me to be made right before a holy God, who doesn't wink at my sin, but has actually paid the price for it, and who invites me to now follow him and to live a life of love, sacrificial love now, a love that gives and spends and surrenders. That's what we're invited into. And we're invited into it not in our own strength as if we could earn eternal life. We can't earn eternal life. But we're invited into it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And not without first being immersed in God's love for us in Jesus. That's the starting place. With a, with a, a whole heart, with our everything, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, with our everything, and that that would overflow into love for others. And that's when we'll see it. That's when we'll see it. We'll see that Jesus kicked the door wide open to the plan of salvation that was shocking then, and it's still shocking now. Because it includes the despised and the outsider. It includes the sinner. It includes you and me. All those who would look to Jesus. The door has been kicked wide open. Jesus invites you and I to delight in that love. It's been demonstrated for us. And now we get to demonstrate it to a watching world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the extravagant love that you have shown us in your son. A love a love that, Lord, is demonstrated most clearly through the fact that Jesus entered our broken state, entered our broken world, and met us in our time of greatest need, took upon himself the burden that we carried, went to the cross in our place, totally surrendered and gave up his life so that we, Lord, could find true life. That wounded man would never be the same because of what the Samaritan did, but we, we, will never be the same because of the work of Jesus. Lord, help us to be moved by that love daily. Help us to be motivated by that love. Lord, please root out of us prejudice, root out of us kind of this us in them categories that we try to squeeze people into. Root out of us, Lord, any boundary line that we've drawn up on love. Instead, Lord, help us to see uh, your great compassion. Help us to be so overwhelmed and overcome by that compassion that we would show compassion towards others. That we gladly spend ourselves. That we gladly take risk. That we we gladly give up, uh, Lord, and be inconvenienced. Because, Lord, we've been loved. We love others, Lord. Help us to do that. Here and now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.